You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Your Bible to Proverbs chapter 7. I, um, I don't know when it has... Uh, I'm always excited about taking our church family on a journey through the Word of God. But I, I don't know when I've been as excited about a series as I am about the series which I'm preaching uh, both on Saturday nights and on Sunday mornings. Now, you see two different titles. On Saturday night, we're looking at uh, the State of the Union. In fact, uh, next week, we're going to look at freedom of speech. We'll talk about family communication. But it has to do with the family. And in the morning, we're calling it Keep the Faith, but it still has to do with the family. And this morning, the message which I'm going to be preaching is entitled, Marriage, It's a Journey, Not a Dance. Marriage, your marriage, it's a journey, not a dance. I don't know a whole lot about dancing. I didn't grow up dancing. I always felt like I could be Fred Astaire if I wanted to be. You've seen me take a jump or two here on this platform, pretty agile, nimble-footed. Um, I think I'd have been pretty good, you know, but I, I didn't grow up dancing. As a matter of fact, um, uh, my, my parents sort of discouraged that uh, when, when I was a young boy, you know, and uh, then in spite of their discouragement, and I hate to admit this to my dad who's sitting back here, but in spite of their discouragement, um, when I was in the eighth grade, I went to, as they would call it, a dance. I went to a dance. And um, something happened there at that dance that changed, uh, it really changed my thinking. I, and, I, you know, I'm not trying to lay anything on anybody here. I'm just telling you what went on in this eight, eighth grade boy's mind. Um, I stood over the side. Of course, I didn't have anybody to dance with and wouldn't know what to do with my feet if I did. And... Um, I stood over the side with a group of other guys who were in the same plight as I was, and uh, we were looking out on the dance floor at the guys who were dancing with the girls, you know, and the guys that were standing there began to talk about the girls. They didn't talk about the guys. They talked about the girls who were on the dance floor. I mean, and the talk got pretty, uh, pretty raunchy. Now, this is very strange, but as an eighth grader, I made a personal decision. I, I thought, you know, I would never want anybody I respected to be talked about like these guys were talking about those gals. And so I just decided that, you know, I didn't ever want to date anybody I didn't respect so that I just made the decision. I'm not going to go because I wouldn't want anybody that I cared about and respected to have people looking at them like that and talking about them like I knew those guys were talking about those gals. That's just an eighth grader's decision. So I just say that to say that I don't know a whole lot about dancing, okay? But I know a little about dancing, just from uh, just common knowledge, right? I mean, you probably, well, all of us got some things. And there are a lot of people who think that marriage is sort of like a dance. That you, you get your partner, and as long as the music's exciting, you, you have the dance. And, and uh, when the music stops playing, it's okay. You can change partners if you want to. And uh, besides, when the music stops playing, the dance stops. And, uh, uh, you know, you might decide to sit one out. And you're in the same room. I mean, it's no big deal. You don't have to really know the person, and she doesn't have to really know you, or he doesn't have to really know you. You know, just sort of in the room. There's no consequence to it. And when it's all over, it's all over. You go home, none the worse for it. But you see, marriage is not like that. Marriage is not a dance. 
Marriage is a, it's a journey, meant to be a journey of a lifetime. And so we're going to look at uh, one of the most graphic passages of Scripture in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 7. And you're going to meet a couple of people who think that, that marriage is like a dance, not a journey. And you're going to see the consequences in their lives. This really is graphic. As a, as a matter of fact, it describes in, in pretty um, incredible terms um, both this naive, simple young man and the harlot uh, who, who captures his heart for a night. And as the scripture says, we're going to read it here in a few moments, he goes to the slaughter uh, like a fool to the correction of the stocks, as an ox to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Pretty graphic description. As a matter of fact, my, uh, my son-in-law, uh, Tony, uh, is real big. In fact, he, he started reading uh, Proverbs to uh, those kids before, uh, before they were ever born. I mean, he was, while uh, Beth was carrying uh, their first child, Carter, uh, he began reading Proverbs aloud every night, you know, to, to uh, just so that boy could get used to hearing the Scripture and hearing that voice. And it's amazing, you know, out of the mouth of babes, you know, comes rather strange things. Should I tell this, Jeannie? She's, my wife is cringing back there. Um, you're, not, you're not really supposed to tell stuff like this, but I'm already in enough that I better tell you. Um, but it, because, really, I, I have a hard time telling this because... Uh, no, I have a very easy time telling it, but I have a hard time thinking about telling it because uh, uh, there, there was another young man whose parents are also here this morning, and, and, and both these boys got in pretty big trouble over this. Um, uh, one day there was some company at uh, their house, and uh, a couple of the younger boys disappeared. And uh, they were gone for a long time, and, and uh, Beth and this other lady who's here this morning uh, were visiting together. And pretty soon these boys came walking down the uh, stairs with this really sheepish look on their face. And um, Beth said, what have you guys been doing? And you know, kids will just tell you. And so my grandson said to his mother, well, said we went upstairs and we found in one of the rooms a Sears catalog and we've been looking at some Proverbs 7 women. You're laughing because you can relate to that, right? Pretty graphic description here. Marriage is not a dance. Marriage is meant by God to be a journey of a lifetime. And how good it was that we could introduce to you this morning some people who believe that, 64 years of marriage. So you have your Bible open to Proverbs chapter 7. I'm going to read a good portion of the scripture, and then I'm going to ask you to stand with me in just a few moments, and we're going to read the last four verses of the text for this morning. Now Solomon is telling his son how to avoid moral corruption. And in the process of doing that, he uses an example. Now, uh, this, this probably is something he saw happen in reality. Or perhaps it is a composite of what he had seen take place on more than one occasion. Later in his life, he certainly was no stranger to this. Here was a man who at one time was called the wisest of all men, who died as a fool. 
because he didn't obey the very principles that he espoused earlier in his life. But listen to what he says. He said, I, at the window of my house, I looked through my casement. He said, I looked out through the shutters here. And I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Now, what's so interesting thing about this is the kid thinks he's brilliant, okay? Most people who get involved in moral infidelity think they're really cool. They think it's so, it, this is so nifty, this is so smart. But the kid is actually a young man who's void of understanding. As a young man, he could be in his 20s, 30s, whatever, could have been a teenager. Passing through the street near her corner. So the first problem he has, he gets, he gets close to where he knows the action is. He shouldn't have done that. Well, when he got there to the corner, he, he made a decision. He went the way to her house. He initiates this. By the way, he picked the time that most people, you see, most people love to do things under cover of darkness. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, you know, they just bumped into him. He thought this was sort of a chance meeting. There, there met him a woman with the attire of the harlot. In other words, uh, basically here's what the attire of a harlot would have meant. Uh, she dressed so that she would appeal to his physical senses by her physical appearance. She dressed with the purpose in mind to get him to look at her body. You know, uh, clothes have a lot of different purposes, but it's wrong when you dress for the purpose of getting people to, to look and to think and to, 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 to gaze upon your physical being. Uh, we're, our, we're to glorify God, and when your, your dress attracts attention to itself rather than to God, you've got a problem. And so she had dressed, she had gone out with this in her mind that she was going to attract somebody. She was dressed with the attire of a harlot. She was subtle of heart. By the way, he doesn't know this, but there's a little insight into her character. She is loud and, her, and stubborn, and she doesn't like to stay at home. Now, this could have been written about a guy, but it just happens to be written by Solomon to his son about a gal. But in our society, it could be either side of the coin. So I'm not a male chauvinist here. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. So she's loud and she's, she's stubborn. And her feet uh, abide not in her house. The Bible says that a fair woman, a beautiful lady who doesn't have discretion, is like a jewel in a pig's nose. Have you ever thought about how ridiculous that would? Oh, come here, piggy, piggy, piggy. Let's put this diamond jewel in your nose and let you go root mud. Well, a fair woman without discretion, anybody without discretion, is like a jewel in a pig's nose, all right? And now, he says, she's outside. She's in the streets. I mean, she's, she's on the prowl, so to speak. She lies in wait at every corner. She walks to the corner, and she lies in wait at every corner. So she caught him, and she kissed him. And with an impudent face, I mean, looking at him like, hey, big boy, she said to him, listen, I have peace offerings with you. Everything's okay. Today I, I've paid my vows. Hey, listen, I, everything's all right with me. And so I have come forth to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. Now, the truth of the matter is this. She didn't care who she met. 
But she's already got this guy, and men, you ought to take note of this. She's already got this guy thinking that he's the only one in the world for her. I, I came out, I was looking for you. No, she wasn't. She was here, she was there. She was on every corner. She was lying in wait. But now she's already got this guy thinking, hey, she thinks I'm Mr. Wonderful. Man, she thinks I am really tough stuff. Oh, she said, I'm so glad I found you. I was just running around breathlessly. I checked the various corners. You weren't there. I finally found you. And then she says, listen, let me tell you what I got at home. I've decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, carved works, fine linen of Egypt. You ought to see where I live. You know, as if he's going to go into that bedroom and pay attention to the fine linen. She says, man, I, I've got an incredible place here. I perfume, perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. You know what she's saying? I've got the ideal place for us to do what I know you want to do in your heart. And then this indicates that she thinks it's a dance. She says, let's just make a night of it. She says, come. Let's take our fill of love until morning. You know, when hey, morning's all over, you get up, you go your way. I'll go my way. None of us are any of the worse for it, right? So let's, let, let, let's, let's take our fill into morning. Let's solace ourselves with loves. For the goodman, she's referring to her husband. He's not at home. You know, he's gone on this, he's gone, he's, he's gone this long journey. He took a lot of money with him. He's told me the day he's going to come back, and he's not coming back today. And so with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With flattering of her lips, she forced him. Come on. Oh, you know, you're, you're one. You know, she forced him. Now, he thinks he is really cool. He really does. Can you believe it? He's just strolling down the street, and out of nowhere comes this gorgeous lady, he thinks, and man, she is so smitten with him. Right off the bat, she said he was the only one in the world. And she's got everything ready. He thinks he is the coolest person around. You know what? He's an idiot. As a matter of fact, we're laughing today about him. It's so sad what he did. The truth of the matter is the devil had the last laugh. Nobody's laughing at this guy any more than the devil. He goes after her straightway. I mean, he did, you know what this means? It means there came that breaking moment when all of a sudden he took the plunge. He, he just sort of closed. He said, okay, I'm going to do this. Now he's caught. He goes after her straightway, and you know what he is? He's just like an ox going to slaughter. He's like a fool going to the correction of the stocks. And this happens till a dart strikes through his liver. That could even refer to disease. But he said, you know what this guy is? He's a bird hastening to the snare. You know, you set this little trap for a bird. Some of you guys have done that. You know, you put a box up on a prop. You put the string on the, on the prop. You put out food, you know, and you think the bird's going to hop along here and like the food and keep going pretty soon it's out there. And so that bird, he says, like a bird hastening to the snare, he doesn't know it's for his life. He has no idea. He gets over there, that box is down, and he's dead meat. And he said, this guy's just hopping along, what? Getting what he wants and more of what he wants and more of what he wants, and he doesn't realize it's like a bird going to a snare hastening to his death. Now stand with me and let's read the last four verses of the Scripture this morning. Let's read it together aloud. 
Hearken unto me now, you children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. Yes, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Here's a guy. He's going after her. He doesn't realize that her house is right on the roadside to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will rivet our attention to your word and that you'll cause our lives to be changed. And Lord, I pray this morning that every one of us in this room will realize that marriage is a journey. It's a journey of a lifetime. That's what you meant it to be. It's not something so frivolous to be looked upon in such a cavalier fashion as a dance. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you have your Bible open to Proverbs chapter 7. Your marriage. And that we're just going to zero in during this month of January on marriage, family, communication. The whole, I just want to tell you that there's no secret that families are in desperate trouble. Last night I was sharing with the folks who are here that over 50% of the children in America are now raised in homes with only one parent. Over half of America's children are growing up in homes where there's only one parent. That means in many instances that they're being reared by, by people who are being paid to do the raising for these children. And you wonder why they don't turn out, you know, having fine moral values that you have. That's because they're not around you many times enough to even get anything from you. It's not meant to raise those children in your spare time. Marriage is not something you do in your spare time. It's a journey. It's not a dance. Now, I want to show you very quickly this morning, with the Scripture open before you, three issues that distinguish the journey of your marriage from a dance. Three issues that distinguish the journey of your marriage from a dance. First of all, there is the issue of character. The issue of character. You see, what you are when you are alone powerfully affects what you are together. What you are when you are alone powerfully affects what you are together. Now, we've got two people who are alone here. One of them's married, one of them is not married. One of them could perhaps could be a little older than the other. We don't know that for a fact. But they are alone. And as you listen to this harlot speak to him, and as you watch him, as he first of all goes the path, he's looking. He's not, he's not innocent in this. Not at all. In fact, he's going to pay a heavy price for this, and we're going to see that in just a few moments. But you get the idea that here are two people who believe that, that this event is just going to take place in a little Tupperware box. It's going to be an evening in a home. The two people who are very lonely, and they're going to get through with it, and as it says elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, they're just going to wipe their mouth, and they're going to say, well, I got what I want, and they're going to walk away, and it's not going to impact anything. But you see, it does impact something. It brings a sickness into their lives. It radically changes their lives. This young man who is never married, he can never go to someone and say, look, I want you to be my bride. 
and I've kept myself for you as I believe you've kept yourself for me. On his heart, there is that searing reality that he has been unfaithful to the one who would be his intended. And she, her husband comes home from this trip. She can't say to him, sweetheart, in honesty, sweetheart, the whole time you've been gone, I've thought of nothing but you. And how grateful I am to be married and, and what a wonderful family we have. And I focused all of my attention on, on having the principles of God in our home. You see, what you are when you are alone powerfully affects what you are when you're together. And a lot of people don't realize this about their marriage. They think, you know, if my, what my wife doesn't know won't hurt her. What my husband doesn't know won't hurt him. And we, we have created for ourselves a society where we have a, a synthetic aloneness. The Bible says that a man who is away from his home is like a bird which is away from its nest. A bird away from its nest is, uh, is open game. And a man away from his home who, 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 who's out there alone. It used to be that our society, we were so well aware of one another. You know, let, let, let's take a, an issue like uh, um, one that's getting so much attention these days is, is pornography. Well, there was a time in society, you know, where, where a, a person would say, well, man, I, I wouldn't be caught dead, you know, subscribing to that or buying those magazines. I'm not going to go to a grocery store. Everybody in this town knows me. I would go in there and do that. And then, uh, then all of a sudden we got this society that's so mobile, you know, and uh, so here's the guy on the road, and he says, well, you know, it's not going to hurt my marriage. It's not going to hurt my relationship with my wife because I'm out of town. What she doesn't know won't hurt her. Who, who, who's going to know this? Well, God knows the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his goings. And the man begins to erect barriers in his heart, and his wife begins to wonder why she can't really reach him. There's something there that's being hidden, and God can't bless him because he's not a righteous man. And he begins to make decisions which are upside down. The Bible says a man who commits adultery destroys his soul. That doesn't mean he goes to hell. It means he destroys his thinking. He destroys his will, his emotions. He destroys, he destroys his, his decision-making ability. And all of a sudden, he starts making stupid decisions because he's trying to hide something. Well, he wouldn't do that in his town. Everybody knows him. But on the road, that's a little bit different. And then there was this idea of, well, I wouldn't, you know, that, that, that movie theater, they play those nasty movies. I'm not going to be seen traipsing into those movies. So the devil, he's pretty smart. What does he do? He says, hey, you can get this in your house. Yeah, you can just subscribe to get, and you can get this into your house and nobody will know it. But after a while, people say, well, you know, they say nobody would know it, but my kids would see it and my wife or my husband, they would see it, you know. And so the devil, he never lets up. He takes something good like the Internet and says, hey, this is the ultimate synthetic aloneness. Nobody knows. Let me tell you something. What you are alone has an incredible impact upon what you are when you are together. Both of these people did not realize it, but that little dance made a difference in the rest of their lives. It wasn't a dance, is it? You see, marriage is not a dance. It's a journey of a lifetime. That's what it's meant to be, not a dance. Here's another thing that distinguishes it from a dance, and that is the issue of commitment. 
you know, a, a dance is danced until the music stops or until they start playing music you don't like or music you don't know how to dance to. And you say, well, I'll sit this one out. It's not the way it is with marriage. When you stand at the marriage altar and you say, I am marrying you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish you until death parts us, and I'm speaking those words to you, and I'm speaking them to this assembled audience, and I'm speaking them before God with whom we are making this covenant. That does not mean that the music is always going to be music you're going to want to hear. Marriage just doesn't have any happy music. Sometimes there's sad music. It doesn't always have any music that's, that's filled with joy. Sometimes there's tragic music. Sometimes it seems like the music stops and there's the pain. Oh, something horrible happens and, and the song is gone. Well, if you're to dance, you just quit dancing. But marriage is not a dance. It is a lifetime commitment. See, here's this lady who was married. She was obviously dissatisfied with her marriage. She thought, well, on the side here, I'll still marry, be married to him. I mean, look what kind of a room he provides for me. Man, I've, got all, I've been able to pay all these vows. I've been able to take care of this. I can have a bedroom that looks like this. It is absolutely incredible. I'm going to keep my husband, but I'm going to, I'm going to have just a little whirl over here. You see, marriage is not a dance. There's a commitment of a lifetime. This, this is probably as good a time for me to say something that has been troubling me and has been on my heart to say to you. You know, First Southern, I don't know of a church anywhere which invites and welcomes and encourages people with broken hearts, broken lives, broken marriages. I mean, I look out across this congregation and I see dozens upon dozens of you with whom I personally counsel and, and other staff members have counseled dozens and, and hundreds and hundreds more. And, and you know that this is a church where we believe that by the grace of God there's love, there's forgiveness, there's a way to, to get a new start. Some of you say, man, I'd give anything if what has happened in my life wouldn't have happened, but you can't go back and undo it. And we have learned that by the grace of God, you can't undo the past, but you can start from today. And from today till you meet Jesus, you can be and do everything he wants you to do about your life and about your family and about your marriage. And, and we're, we're a church like that. We just, we just open our arms to that. But I want to tell you something. That does not mean because we are a church and we seek to minister to all kinds of people who all, have all kinds of problems, that does not mean that we ever believe that we have anything to gain by condoning infidelity. That doesn't mean that we say we condone sin. The fact that we love the sinner doesn't mean that we pat him on the back and say, and you keep on sinning and we're just going to say praise God for you. you know, we're just glad you show up. No, that is, that's not true. Because of that, I think it's requisite upon our church family. You'll understand, I mean, parents... If they love their children, they have certain principles in the home by which the family is to abide and there are consequences for not doing so. And the Bible says that's true about a church. And that means when someone begins to slide into a life that's morally corrupt or begins to practice infidelity, that, that we are obligated out of love for you and out of love for God and out of honor for the Word of God. We are obligated, first of all, quietly and privately to come to you and to challenge you and to make an appeal to you to cease and desist 
And the Bible clearly spells it out. But if you sort of stomp your foot inside your heart and say, hey, none of your business, my life, not your life, we are obligated, the Scripture says, then since it, the appeal of one was not successful, to take two or three and to go and in love and in prayer to say, look, we're appealing with you. This is not a life that honors God. This is a life that will destroy your family. And if that appeal does not work, the Bible is very clear. It says there comes a time when a church family has to say, we withdraw fellowship from that person. You say you would never do that. We've done that on occasion here at First Southern. And we would do it again. We don't do everything perfectly. But I'll tell you what, I pray that when God looks down at First Southern, he finds a church that's at least trying to do it his way. And you say, well, why would you do that? I mean, when you say to somebody, look, we'll withdraw fellowship, doesn't that just say, hey, well, you've lost your opportunity to minister to him? Well, in the first place, that's what the Bible says to do. In the second place, it would be wrong for anybody to go out and parade their sin and say, and I'm a member of First Southern, or I am a child of God, all the time flaunting their arrogant disregard and rebellion against God. And finally, the Bible says that when a person is corrected, smart people pay attention. And we've got to look after the lives of these dozens and hundreds and hundreds of students and young married couples who need to know that sin has consequences and infidelity is something that God looks upon with disfavor. You say, well, you're trying to make me feel bad because that's something that went on in my life. Listen, by the grace of God, you can experience his forgiveness. You can experience his love from that moment on. By repentance you can go far, but you cannot presume and say, well, God's loving, God's forgiving, and I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to nail him to the wall. He's going to have to love and forgive me and make my life wonderful. No, sir, God is not in your box. He is a holy, sovereign God. And I believe it's attendant upon this church to call upon the highest possible biblical standards for marriage, and I believe you're with me on that. I honestly believe that's what you want this church to be, a haven for people who have broken lives and broken hearts, but a church that holds up God's standard for marriage and sets these young people on the right way with relationships that will be a journey, not a dance. You say, Brother Tom, in fact, someone said to me one time, they said, Brother Tom, you know about all the rules that could be broken in the Scripture. I've broken when you get up there and you preach about sin, you're probably not going to preach about much of anything that I haven't experienced. And I said to him, well, does that mean it makes you feel bad? He says, no, it makes me feel sad. It makes me feel glad that God has forgiven me. But he said, I'm also encouraged because I don't want my children or anybody else's children to go through what I've gone through. So preacher, please tell them it's not worth it to disobey God. It is not worth it. And I know everybody feels like that they've got their own peculiar situation. And you, that's something that uh, you wrestle out between you and the Lord. But I just simply want to say to you that God's plan is for marriage to be a journey of a lifetime, not a dance. The music's always, not always going to be pleasant music. I look out here and I see some of you couples like Howard and Beulah have been married 64 years. I'll guarantee you they haven't been hearing a lyric waltz the whole time that they've been married. I'll guarantee you there were times when there was a funeral dirge, wasn't there, Howard and Beulah? There were times when there were sad songs, not just happy songs. But they didn't wake up and say, well, it's a little tough to be married. Let's just quit. Let's just call the dance over. Let's just change partners.
Marriage is a journey, not a dance. Let me mention one other thing that separates the journey of life from a dance, and that is the issue of consequences. The issue of consequences. You'll never end up where you started out. You'll never end up where you started out. Now, with the dance, you end up where you started out. Man, the orchestra's playing, and there's all this whirling and all this stuff, and you're going around, you know, and you got your partner and everything like that, and, and it's all over. You're in the same room. You're probably not 25 feet from where you started. But marriage is not like that. It's not a dance. Marriage is a journey. And with every decision you make, you're going someplace. And you'll never end up where you started out. Let me ask you this question. Where are you headed with your life and with your marriage and with the decisions you're making? Where are you headed? You're not going to end up where you started out. There are going to be differences. There are going to be different consequences. You know what? This, this kid and this gal... This naive, simple young man who thought he was Mr. Cool and this cunning married woman. They thought this was so cool. She's bound to have said, man, I have achieved my objective. And he's bound to have said, and I've achieved my objective. We are so smart. We are so cool. Man, who would have ever thought that I could get in bed with a woman that looked like this, who had a house that looked like this, in a bed like this, a setting like this, no consequences, baloney, like an ox to the slaughter, like a fool to the stocks, like a bird hastening to his death totally ignorant of it. And I'll guarantee you, when he got up the next morning and gathered up his underwear and put on his britches and walked out in the sunlight, never innocent again, he wasn't the same person. He could never be the same person again. She wasn't the same. She could never be the same again. You don't end up where you start out. Dancing, you do. But marriage is not a dance. Marriage is a journey of a lifetime. My prayer is somehow some way, God will just move into this room and then move right into your heart. He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're thinking. He is a God of grace, a God of mercy. Times of our ignorance, he once winked at. The Bible says the Spirit will not always strive with us. Guy came to my office one day, and he said, um, "Well, brother Tom, you probably know this. I've been, uh, I've been unfaithful to my wife." And then he laughed and he sat back and said, "Well, <laughs> I guess I'm like King David, you know, David and Bathsheba." And I stood up so quickly that I literally knocked the chair over behind my desk. And I said, there's no way in the world in which you 
and King David are similar in the least bit. Oh, yeah, he said, you know, David ran around on his wife. He committed adultery. Bathsheba, don't you remember that? I said, I want to tell you something. He was a man after God's own heart, he said. I'm like him. No, I said, you're not. When God came to David, convicted of him, his, him of his sin, he melted. Pride, arrogance, rebellion, insistence on sin went out the window. He fell before God and melted. And he, even at that, he paid horrible consequences. So much so that in this auditorium this morning, you and I are reflecting for a few moments upon that night when David thought he was just going to a dance. Marriage is not a dance. It's a journey of a lifetime. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting your Holy Spirit will move in this place might and with power. I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, in some way that your Holy Spirit will bring conviction to our hearts. I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, husbands and wives who are here this evening would, or this morning would take one another by the hand and say, look, this is a lifetime deal for us. Whatever the mistakes, whatever the difficulty, whatever the music's playing, by the grace of God between now and when we meet Jesus, we're going to be and do everything God wants us to do. Lord, I look out here and I see people sitting beside each other, products of broken homes, broken lives, who by your grace have found a new life, repented, turned to you, found purpose, meaning. I thank you for that. Lord, I look out here and see all of these uh, students and singles and many, many, many who've never been married. I pray somehow these words would have a sobering impact upon them. They'd realize that marriage is not a dance. It's a journey for a lifetime. Now, Father, as we come to this invitation time, the wonderful good news is this. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners. And Lord, all of us are sinners. You say in your word, we're all sinners. And there's no way we can get to you apart from Jesus. And I pray this morning, Father, many would turn to you, receive Christ. Others would join this church. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. No one looking around for just a few moments. This is invitation time. It's invitation time. Your moment to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as the Lord of your life. If you've never made that decision, this is an invitation for you. And I would encourage you, when we stand in a few moments, we're going to have counselors all across the front here. I would encourage you, you just step out of the aisle from where you are, come find one of these counselors and say, look, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. He died for you. He paid for your sins on the cross of Calvary. He's risen from the grave. He's alive. He will give you eternal life. He'll put your life in order. Before church this morning, I had the privilege of sitting with a dear lady and saying, God's got the answer for you. God's got the answer for you. You don't have it, but God does. He has the answer for you, for your life, your marriage.
And he has the answer for you, dear friend, if you'll trust in him. That's where it all begins, when you trust in him as your savior. Take him as the Lord of your life. If you'll do that this morning as a student, sing, that's it, God bless you, you just come on. You find these counselors here at the front. As folks are coming, you just join. You just step up wherever you are. Counselors, would you just come? You don't have to wait till we stand and sing. If God's speaking to your heart, you just come on right now. I've got a decision I want to make. God's speaking to my heart. That's it. God bless you. Just come on right now. I'm saying yes. We're saying yes to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Your invitation is to say, look, what I want more than anything is to open my heart to Jesus. Trust in him. It could be that God's speaking to your heart this morning and saying, you know, this is the church where you, you belong in this place. A little strong sometimes, but it's Bible. And they lift up Jesus and they care about other people. They care for you. You want to be a part of this church? I'd encourage you this morning when we stand, you make your way to the aisle and say, look, we want to join. I want to join. Be a part of this church family. Your invitation to say yes to him. That's it. God bless you. Come on. These counselors will meet you right over here. That's it. God bless you. Amen. You just come on. Today, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Today, we're opening our heart to Christ. We want a, we want a brand new start. We want what God has for us in our life, in our homes, we want what God has for us. That's it. God bless you. You just come on. Amen. Amen. Today, Lord Jesus, yes, that's it. Come on. Amen. Some of you have been sort of floating around looking for a church home. God's speaking to your heart this morning. This is the time for you to come. You may have written it on that visitor's card. I want to join. We want to join. Well, you just bring it with you. If you didn't write it down, just come on. We'll write it down for you. I want to say yes. We want to say yes to Jesus. If you've made a decision in recent weeks, join this church perhaps over the holidays and we didn't introduce you, I'm going to ask you to come be seated over here where it says seating for new members so we can introduce you at the close of the service. Our prayer warriors will be coming. Counselors will be coming. This is your invitation. And I'm going to ask us in a few moments to stand. I'm going to lead us in prayer. The moment I say amen, the choir is going to begin singing your invitation. Many people this morning have already come to this altar. What a tragedy to go away without receiving all that Christ has for you. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting, believing. Your Holy Spirit is at work in this place. And Father, I pray that in a mighty way that you would move powerfully in the hearts of others, still others yet to receive your grace, your forgiveness, your love, your purpose, your peace in their lives. And I pray these things in your wonderful and matchless name, Lord Jesus. Amen.